And thank you for the welcome. It's really good to be home. I was uh, born and raised in West Michigan, Grand Rapids. And then after 25 years, moved uh, to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, where I've been since. <sighs> Thanks for the warm welcome. <laughs> I got off the plane last night. I thought, really? This is why I left. <laughs> so I appreciate the very warm welcome. What is that, Craig? I don't know, man. I just, that's cold stuff. I came here for several reasons, but first and probably priority is to say thank you to you, Central Wesleyan Church, a sincere, deeply felt thank you because you made a trade in 1987, and I'm here to thank you for the trade that you made. Now in a moment, I'll make sense of the trade and I'll connect it to, to the main thought for the day. In fact, let me, just, let me just give you the main thought right off the top. Let's, let's just do that quickly. Some of you might be note takers, I am when I go somewhere, so I think they give you a little space in, in the bulletin there if you want to jot anything down. So if you're like, well, let's see if it's worth jotting down. Well, here, here's the thought. Life is a series of trade-offs. This is the idea. Life is a series of trade-offs. And the real challenge is to trade up. Life is a series of trade-offs, this for that. You're always trading this for that. You trade your time, you trade your efforts, you trade your energy, you trade that for this. You, you trade your money and you buy stuff. You, 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 you go to work, you serve. Whatever the case may be, you're, if you think about it, you're always making trades. Life is filled with trade-offs. It's a series of them. You're doing it all the time, whether you've ever thought about it or not. And the real challenge, the strong challenge, maybe the stronger challenge is to trade up. See, when you make a trade, you don't want to trade down. I mean, you, you don't want less. You, you don't want to fall short. You don't want to be in a lower place. When you trade, you, you want to make a trade where, where, where that exchange, man, you trade it up. You got more, you got better, you got a better life on the other side of that. So, I wanna thank you for a trade you made. I grew up at Grand Rapids. Grew up at Berkeley Hills Wesleyan Church. Went to Hastings Camp, some of you might know of that. Thank you. 16 years old, had to call the ministry. Don't know if it makes any sense to you, but I'm gonna try to explain. When I say call the ministry, I mean, I wanted to be an attorney. That was my goal in life. I'd already dreamed of that, but being an attorney. And, but but I, I sensed something in my spirit as best I could, 16 years old, what do you really know? But, but, but that God might want me to be a pastor, and I, I don't know what to do with that. So I just, I prayed one night, very specifically, God, if you want me to be a pastor, you gotta tell me so I'll know. And if you say yes, I'll make the trade. I mean, I'll trade off, won't be an attorney, I'll go be a pastor, I'll do, but, but you gotta let me know. And I'll tell you how specific. I mean, I, 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 this happened on November 13th of 1977 at 10.55 p.m., it's that specific. I took a Bible, I said, God, if you want me to be a minister, you gotta tell me so I'll know beyond a shadow of doubt. It's really what I said to him. And I took a Bible, I closed my eyes, I dropped the Bible, and I said, if, if I can open the Bible, blindly put my finger there, and it says I'm supposed to be a, a minister, I'll do it. Now, listen, I'm not recommending that. I mean, I, I know that sounds kind of dumb. I mean, some of you are thinking, really? 
Really? I mean, Pastor Craig, you brought him here to teach us how to get the will of God. That's how we all go home and just get the, no, I'm, not, I'm not encouraging you, but God's gracious. And, and he's very patient and, and he was merciful. And, and, and so I dropped the Bible, I got my eyes closed, dropped the Bible, I let it open, I put my finger and then I read. And literally where my finger was, it says, and you will be called the ministers of our God. And it freaked me out. It, it would freak you out, you gotta admit, that would mess with your head. You're like, are you kidding me? I mean, I was spiritually overwhelmed and it blew my mind and I, I signed it in the Bible. I'm like, that's it, God, I'm making a trade. Went to Indiana Western University. I pastored at Kentwood Community Church as an assistant pastor from 1982 to 87. And then went to plant a church in Atlanta, Georgia in 1987 and the last church I spoke at was Central Wesleyan. Right here, when you had the 1,000 seat, 1,100 seat thing back in the day, that was a big room, that terrified me. I was 25 years old. And you made a trade. So you're part of the district and this district was giving $16,000 to 12 Stone, to us, to plant a church. You were one of the leading churches and you were given the most and made it possible through the district and, and I came and I said thank you. And I, I, I took the opportunity to come back at Craig's invitation to say thank you again in all sincerity. Nobody knew back in the day what that trade would translate to. I can tell you this, it didn't look like a good trade in the early days, you know what I'm saying? It was a, it was a long time. I mean, it was a rough three, five, six years. It was seventh year before we even broke through a couple hundred people and we, were, we called ourselves the Heinz 57 Church because it didn't matter what we did, 57 people showed up and we just couldn't get anywhere. But I want you to know that the trade you made, because see, you could have bought more house, more car, more vacation, more stuff, but you sacrificed for the sake of changing lives. And you invested in a young kid and the vision that God had put on our hearts from West Michigan. I want you to know it's, it's brought a return. Thousands of people have come to faith. In fact, literally tens of thousands over the years. These days we reach about 15 to 18,000 people show up on a weekend for worship. We had over 32,000 this past Easter. 1,367 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ just on Easter. And that is a result of investments that you made early on. So I want you to know you, you traded up for the kingdom, so to speak. See, life is a series of trade-offs and we're always making them. And the real challenge, the strong challenge, maybe for you the stronger challenge is, how do you trade up? How do you know you're trading up? See, Jesus was talking about that in Matthew chapter 13. If you're one of those who has a Bible and you wanna, you wanna check this story out with me, turn over to Matthew chapter 13 and Jesus takes very complex kingdom issues and he translates them in very simple stories so you know what to do with them. Matthew chapter 13 verse 44, and here he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, there you go. See, if you wanna know what the eternal Kingdom, the kingdom that preceded us will follow us has always existed, always will. We're kind of in the smaller sub-kingdom stuff. We think everything that we're doing is all the big deal. No, here's the big deal. It's where we came from. The kingdom of heaven, which is active among us, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure, Jesus said, hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went out and sold all that he had and then bought that field. That's it. That's all he said. Now, this story was powerful in his day because it was common practice in that day. People knew it immediately what Jesus was talking about. It was common in that day that if you had little gold or little silver, a lot, if you had jewelry, if you had family treasure, 
Well, they didn't have banks, okay? You get this, right? They didn't have banks, Old Testament to New Testament, time to get Jesus. They didn't have banks. You don't go put, put it on deposit. They don't have home safes. You go lock it away. They didn't have safe deposit boxes. So they would literally go out, and they would find a spot. Nobody looking. Dig a little hole, and they put their, their little treasures in the hole. Fill it back in so nobody would know. I mean, that's how, that's how they hid it. That's how they, that's how they protected it. So, so nobody would plunder. Nobody would steal. Nobody, so... When they needed it, most likely at night, they'd probably slip back there, dig it up, get what they needed, and, but, but pretty much it'd stay there. Now, they would do that all the more in times of war. And yeah, you know, multiple wars, because they don't want the enemies coming and plundering and taking their, their, their treasures. However, when they were a conquered people, they'd be taken away, and all these treasures would, would, would be left. See, Palestine, at the time of Jesus, was a treasure trove, a fortune, was buried under the ground all over the place. Nobody knew where. But years, decades, generations of treasures were underground. And sometimes it would happen, as it did in his parable. Common guy, he's just probably plowing a field owned by somebody else. Wasn't his land. And maybe he dug up a little treasure. Gets down there, it's like, oh, oh, this is magnificent. This would change my life. I gotta have this. Put it back, put it back, put it back, cover it up. Nobody see that. And then he went and sold everything that he had. Now, this wasn't, this wasn't the treasure of the owner, meaning the owner didn't put it there. The owner would have sold it before he sold the land or pulled it out, but he didn't. This is ancient treasure. This is hid treasure. This is old treasure. This is big treasure. And so you can imagine the guys, he, he, he's out selling everything he has. He's going to buy the land. And, and while he's selling everything, he's like, what are you doing, Fred? No, I don't think it was Fred. That's not really a good Israeli name, but go with me. So, so what are you doing, Fred? Why, why are you selling everything? Man, I'm going to buy that land. He made an offer to the owner, and people are like, man, what is wrong with Fred? I mean, he's good. Fred's not all together anymore. See, because Fred's about to trade down. He's about to make an investment to buy this land that we all know isn't worth what he's about to pay, and what's he going to do with it? He'll have nothing. Guy's a fool. But Fred knew what nobody else knew. He knew that this was a trade-up because there was a treasure hidden. And this was going to change his life. And he did it with joy. He did it with great joy. He did it with great what, everybody? Joy. joy. Yeah, you were kind of there. Let's do this together. I say the word. I pause. I lead you to a response. And then with great joy, you say the word with me. That way we're kind of together. Okay? So here, he did it with great joy. He did it with great what? Almost believable. Sweet. Let me see if I can help you. I would like to have everybody, at least 30 years and under, pull out 10 bucks if you have it. Now, anybody can. I'll let anybody participate, but I just want to mess with the group because I know the younger you are, the more it means. Okay, so, so if you have 10 bucks, pull it out. Right now, just pull out 10 bucks. Because I, I want, I want to do a little something with you. I want, I want to give you a chance to make a trade. You don't have to make the trade, but only one person can make the trade. And when I say, if somebody wants to come up here, but you can't come up yet, I just, I just want you to have your 10 bucks. Because I know 10 bucks sometimes. It doesn't matter how old you are. Okay. But, 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 and you're going to make a trade for this envelope. Now, you may not want to do it, but you may. But I'll tell you what's in the envelope ahead of time, okay? So you get ready. Uh, there's, uh, let's see, there's one bill, two bills, three bills, four bills, five bills. There's a 10, there's a 20, there's a 20, there's a 100, there's a 100. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll trade this, but you got to get up here before anybody else. And the slow people, the slow people, 
<laughs> Spectacular. She won. Everybody say all, because you're very upset about that. And see if you can get back to your seats as fast as you can, because you won't. And you're, but you, you stay here, and you brought a 20. I, I was only looking for 10. I'm sorry. Well, you're not sorry. What's your name? Bree. Bree? Yes. Okay, look at everybody, Bree. Hey. <laughs> now, Bree, remember, I, I was only looking for 10, but, okay. but, but you're bringing 20. Uh, are you sure you want to make the trade? 20 is a lot of money. I'm sure. You sure? I'm sure. Look at her face. Because when I said joy, okay, you ready? Here. This is yours. How much is there? Let's see. You're shaking. Good. I One. Like no, but it was what you don't like being in front of people? I'm, I'm an assistant preschool teacher. Okay. So, so you're a little nervous? Yeah. She, she's nervous. Would you help her feel not nervous any longer? Okay. By the way, Brie, uh, I'm going to be a grandpa for the first time this June, and her name's going to be Brie Lynn. So I'm incredibly excited. You got a beautiful name. Okay. So there's 100, 200, 20, 40, 50. I'll give you the 20 back, 60, 70. Thank you very much. Let's send her back. Now, did you see her face? Did you see her face? It was called joy. It was called what? Joy. Dude, do you see how fast she came up here? Do you see, can I tell you something? As soon as you figure out that the trade you're making is a trade up, you will race toward it. That's what Jesus is talking about. See, Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God. That's what salvation is. As soon as you figure out that following Jesus is a trade up, you will run to Jesus. But most people think it's a trade down. Like, oh goodness, you become a Christian, really? You know, I have this heavy book. It's gonna beat the daylights out of you. It's just filled with rules and it'll just wreck your life. You know to come to Jesus, you're gonna have to die to yourself. Well, yeah. And then you get eternal life. You like get forgiven of your sin, every stupid thing you ever did. You can't make up for yourself. Jesus died on the cross to cover your sin. You know what it means to be forgiven, restored to your heavenly father, have life to the full on earth, and then eternal life. Are you kidding me? That is a trade up. You would sell everything to have life in God. That's what Jesus is talking about. He said, once you figure it out, you'll say yes. See, the man sold everything, made the trade, because it's a trade up. Everybody thought it was a trade down. No, it's a trade up. When Jesus talks in Matthew chapter 6 about giving to the kingdom of God, he says, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust and thieves come and steal. In other words, it's going to end up in a garage sale. Quit making a big deal out of it. You're in love with it today. You won't be someday. So, so quit pretending like this stuff changes your life. It's just a moment of happiness. Don't treat it like it's a God. In fact, leverage temporal things for eternal things. Give toward the kingdom of God so you can change lives. So stuff like this was happening with kids. Things that you're going after here. Because God's stirring things you, among you here. And you're going to have to make some trades. In fact, this whole stronger challenge is about making trades and trading up. You're going to mark the lives of next generation here and in this territory. From children to students, and the impact's so much greater than that. But you know what? For most of us, before we risk a new trade, we need to awaken to a new truth. I want you to get that. I want you to register that. Maybe we need to jot it down. You see, before you awaken, before you risk a new trade, you have to awaken to a new truth. 
Most of us won't just hear a chat like this because you know what we think? I mean, we're not going to say it, but we're not going to like lean over to our neighbor. I, I don't agree with him. You're not going to say that yet. You're thinking it. So you think, oh, if I give God 250 bucks, I like get 10 back. See, when you honor God, when you give to God, it's like a trade down. I mean, it's just how most people, and so they think you're going to give to God like, oh, what is wrong with you? Because you, you won't take the kind of risks God invites you to take unless you've been awakened to new truth. That's what the story of Gideon is about. That's what I want to spend the rest of our time. Story of Gideon, Old Testament, Judges, chapter 6. You want to show them you can. It's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's a young guy in his 20s who had a moment where God was inviting him to make some real major high-risk trades. But God was trying to help him understand, Gideon, it's going to be a trade up. But Gideon couldn't see it. And before Gideon could trade up, before he was willing to risk new trades, God had to help him awaken to new truths. God had to make things new. Judges, chapter 6, verse 6. I'll read it for you. You might be there already, uh, or, or you, and you follow along, or you just listen. Judges 6, 6 says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Midian, the Midianites were Israel's enemy at the time. Now, God had his hand, favor over Israel, but something's gone badly wrong. And the Midianites are impoverishing them. 135,000 Midianites come in, steal their food, steal their crops, steal their cattle, steal everything, steal their sheep, just eat everything and leave them impoverished. You ever been poor? I have. I grew up in what some would say was poor. And I remember I was in elementary school. Multiple times we'd go to the neighbors to get bread. Not, not because we forgot bread, but because we had no food. The church, on multiple occasions, brought groceries. My parents divorced when I was about 12 years old. Made it rough. In high school, I lived in government-subsidized housing, and we had food stamps. Single mom. I remember poor. In fact, I thought I broke from poor when, when, when I went to Kentwood Community Church and became assistant pastor and actually had an income. I'm like, that's what money is. I mean, it was fantastic. And then I planted a church and I went back to poor. And it was poor. When we planted the church, no, it just did, it didn't go so well. So we lost our house and lost our cars and emptied everything we had and lost our health insurance. I remember begging God, like, at least keep my kid healthy until I can find an option to get insurance. I had two kids. He didn't. My daughter ended up with severe issues in Eggleston Children's Hospital. I had to sign a promissory note for $4,000. It might, have well, might as well have been a million. I mean, I was more than broke. I was broken. That's what problems do to you. Problems have a way of breaking you. Because problems can get so large that the effect is that God gets smaller. Have you noticed that? then many times problems start to get larger and then God seems to get smaller. 
And when that happens in financial crisis or business setback, when that happens with your health, maybe you're fine financially, but, but when health threat comes your way, it has, a, it has a way of putting a fear in your soul, the things you can't control, the things you, you can't get your hands around. And, and, and when the problems get larger than you, whatever are your problems, and we all got them, when the problems get larger than you, the effect many times is that God gets smaller. And if you don't awaken to the size of the God you serve, you'll always serve God smaller than he is. God has to awaken Gideon because Gideon was in this place. See, when you come in the story, Gideon is off on his own, hiding. He's making a little sandwich over here, hoping the Midianites don't find him. Because life had gotten so small that Gideon could only be about himself, make his little sandwich. And, the, and God sends an angel, and the angel shows up and says, hello, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, what? That's actually in the Hebrew. What? And God wanted to awaken him to two things that he might want to awaken you to. The first one is who God is. Sometimes we have to awaken to who God is, maybe reawaken to who God is. Literally, I'd say it this way. Gideon had to trade up to the size of God. He had to trade the old small view that he had of God to the new size of who God really was. Maybe you have to do that because Gideon had to rediscover that God is more. God is more. God is what, everybody? He's more. See, God is more loving than you have ever imagined. You do not know the depths of his love. And God is more powerful than any of us know. And God is more patient. And God is more generous. And God is more holy than any of us ever really know. And he said in verses 14, you're going to save Israel. And verse 16, not a Midianite will survive. And Gideon said, I, I can't see it. Because Gideon didn't know the God who was more. And God is more. Back in the early days of 12 Stone, a guy showed up. His name was Chris Huff. He's with me on this trip, hanging out with us here. Chris Huff came to the church, and I met with him at lunch after a couple of visits, and, and Chris told me, he said, look, I, I don't care for your church. I don't care what, what you're doing. I don't believe in your God. I'm here to appease my wife, okay? So I'm agnostic. Thank you very much. I'm not interested. But I thought it was an interesting lunch, a very entertaining lunch, because I'm like, well, he's smart. He's an engineer. He's doing really well in life, and, and, and I, was, I, I was drawn to him, and I said, you know what? It seems to me that you would love to make an impact. He said, how so? I said, you'd love to close a church. He said, I would. I said, I'll make a deal with you. He said, what's the deal? I said, you walk through the Bible with me. I'll tell you what I believe and why. Then you tell me what you believe and why I'm a fool. And if you can convince me and convert me, I'll close the church. He said, I'm in. I will sign up for that. I'm going to close me a church. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be telling the story if he won. <laughs> <laughs> so within the next several months, the Spirit of God landed on him. He read through Scripture and we talked it through and God awoke. That man, to the truth of Jesus. He woke up, came to faith in Jesus. Within a few years, since the call to ministry, walked away from an incredibly strong engineering career. 
to do full-time ministry, has been on 12 Stone staff for 19 years and has changed thousands, literally thousands of lives just because God is more. Listen, there's a, there's a high schooler at our church recently. In fact, I shared this story uh, about a month and a half ago. He, he, his prayer life was, God, help me get a goal in my lacrosse on my lacrosse team for every game I'm in. That was his primary prayer every week. God, we have a lacrosse game, let me have a goal. I wanna, God, you help. You are so big, God, that you could give me a goal in every lacrosse game. And, and the Spirit of God was messing with the high schooler like, um, I might be bigger than that. <laughs> when you're in high school, though, that's a big prayer. Like, I mean, every game I gotta get a, and, and actually he was, he's getting, getting it, and by the end of the year, he got, he got one every game. But the Spirit of God was whispering, I'm a little more than that, young man. Why don't you pray bigger? Why don't you pray for something more than you? So he began to pray, well, God, could you use me to change somebody's life? Could you use me to see someone come to faith in Jesus? And so he just began to pray that God would help him witness to and somehow affect the lives of his teammates. And by the end of the year, he led his first teammate to faith in Jesus Christ. High schooler, not in the church, did it on the sports field. In the next two years, he led over 50 athletes in his school to faith in Jesus Christ. See, that's powerful. God is more than just get a little, gets you a little lacrosse win. By, by the way, what you guys are going after here is a church so huge because you may already know in your soul that God is more, but the next generation needs to know that God is more. And how you live and how you lead and how you give and how you serve is going to mark them for them to discover that God is more and for them to lead their generation. It really matters how you walk this. We had a guy two years ago come to 12 Stone. He's broken, messed up his marriage, moral trouble, did it himself. Six-year-old daughter, the divorce occurred, he was broken. He just came and said, I'm a mess, I need help. Over that two-year period, he came to faith in Jesus, began to recognize that he was living unwisely, began to live out of God's word, loving his daughter from a distance. Right after Easter, just a couple weeks back, after the 11 o'clock service, he, his ex-wife, and his now eight-year-old daughter stood together, and we married them again, and God brought a family back together because God is more. God restores broken things, doesn't he? See, that's who our God is. And Gideon was about to figure out that God is more. That's what God was trying to tell Gideon, I'm more. And Gideon couldn't see it because Gideon was consumed with making a sandwich. All Gideon knew about God is that, is that he had stories of God, but he didn't know the real God. He didn't know the power of God. He didn't know that God was the size of who God was. And I want to tell you something. God needed to awaken Gideon to the size of who God was. But I think there was a second awakening. And that's for who Gideon was. Maybe I should say who you are. I think that might be an awakening God has for us today. God wants to awaken you to who you are. And he wants you to trade up to the size of God in you, the size of God in you. See, in verse 12 of chapter 6, God said to Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. And then he said in verse 14, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you to save Israel, but I'm sending you. And then he said in verse 16, I'll be with you. Mighty warrior, I'm sending you, I'll be with you. Mighty warrior, I'm sending you, I'll be with you. Those are three of the most powerful messages and God is still sending that message to the church. He's still telling you, as followers of Christ, you're mighty warriors. 
You're mighty warriors. God's sending you into this community where he's placed you. And he's with you. And then we're sometimes like Gideon. I mean, Gideon gets the message. He's like, oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that might be true for somebody else, but I'm in the least of all the tribes, and I'm the least of my own tribe. I just, I don't know, God. I, I don't see it. And, so, and an awakening had to occur. In fact, I, I wrote down in my own notes what I think the lesson Gideon would say to us. You ready? Here's the lesson. You ain't got this without God, but with God, you've got this. You ain't got this without God, but with God, you've got this. Now, I know ain't ain't a word, but I learned the word ain't when I heard it in grade school. You ain't much if you ain't Dutch. So I know all the Dutch know the word ain't. And I wasn't Dutch, so I wasn't much. So I'd go to Atlanta to become something. So here we go. Just have a little bit of fun. Hey, so here's what I know, that, that, that if you ain't got God, you haven't got this. See, I, how many people have ever gone camping? Hands up, you've ever gone camping, ever, ever. You don't have to like it, I just want to know if you've gone. Some, some actually do. Yeah, I, I like the idea of camping, I just don't like the experience of it. So, so we did tent camping, and, and the rain and the bugs and the, and let's just be honest, if God wanted us to live uh, outdoors, he wouldn't give us houses. So um, some of you are like, what? Should I write that down? Uh, so we did 10 camp and I didn't care for it. And, and we graduated to pop-up camper and I love that because you, you had air conditioning. Now see, that's, now that's, now it's making sense. But there's no bathroom. It's just, you just, you got air conditioning. I'm like, okay, but it's still missing something. Because that means you still got to get up in the middle of the night and go find the bathroom when your bears are going to eat you. You're going to be gone. Somebody's going to take you. It's just going to be a bad story. So, so, and it's cold and nobody wants it. So, so I, what I want to graduate to is the big thing. Like a, a hard side camp, camper trailer. We got one. I mean, I was so excited. This is, this is mind-blowingly good. I don't know if you know this, but it, it has running water in it and a bathroom inside the trailer and a hot shower to die for. This is spectacular. We got one. Life's good. You are bringing your hotel with you. I'm in. So we got one, and we went on our first camping trip. I was so excited. About three days in, I wasn't as excited, but the first three days were spectacular. When I get up in the middle of the night, I'm like, I'm not even going anywhere. I'm just right there. Here I am. It's good. Hot shower. And then I woke up that next morning, fourth morning, and my wife said, hey, that black water thing, that is full. You have got to empty that. I'm like, well, that's disgusting. I mean, that's got human waste cooking in that for three days. That's 100, 100 gallons of it. I'm not, I don't want to do that. So you have to, you have to do it now. Well, I, I, before breakfast? Yeah. So since I got married to be told what to do, I'm like, okay, so here we go. Now, unfortunately, this was going to be my first time to empty one. So I, I got out the directions. <laughs> I got my oldest son, who was a teenager, Josh, and we read the directions. How hard can it be? He just put it in there. Put it in. And they, fortunately, on our campsite, we had a waste disposal, so right there on the site, so we didn't have to like load up the trailer and take it to the site. So I was like, this will be good. Now, we're a little far away from it, but, but we put a couple hoses together. So, so I got Josh, he's behind the camper. He's way over there behind the camper, and I'm way under, we got around it. And, and, and I get down here, and I, and I, I put it in, and I'm, I'm holding it, and I'm like, all right, Josh. And, and my wife is, is standing right there. She's, 
she's over my shoulder. I hate having people look over my shoulder. Anyone? You liars. How many, if you hate people looking over your shoulder anywhere in life, hands up. Come on. Especially my wife. Especially my wife. And she's, now, honey, I, I don't know if you're doing it right. Really? I, I, I need help from you. I've walked around the campground and I see other people have a doohemajiki that's connected to the hose and then they lock it on the, the waste disposal and it just stays. The, I, I don't think you're supposed to hold it. I said, honey, I've got this. Why don't you go cook breakfast? You do your job, I'll do mine. She said, she decided not to cook breakfast. She stayed for the show, but she did back up. <laughs> and then I yelled to my son, Josh, let her rip. And he did. Now, I don't, I'm not good at physics, but do you have any idea the force at which 100 pounds of fill in the blank uh, <laughs> rushing through a hose about that size can do when it gains momentum and hits the hole? <laughs> I don't have to make this up. That thing ripped out of my hands and started snaking. <laughs> and stuff is going everywhere. And I'm trying to grab it. And I finally get a hold of it and I cram it back in the hole and my senses have been destroyed. I'm vomiting in my mouth. And I'm trying to, to get oxygen and right there is my wonderful wife. So you got that? Israel, in Judges chapter 6, verse 1, decided that God's kindness was so great that it must be their amazing goodness. And they didn't need him anymore. And so it says in Judges chapter 6, verse 1, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hand of the Midianites, because if you ain't got God, you ain't got it. You have control of nothing. But if you have God, you've got this. Because God's got you and God's got this. And you know what? Gideon was so messed up after years of wondering where God went that when God finally did show up, he didn't even know how to trust him. He didn't even know how to be the person God created him to be because God with you means you've got this. Because God's got you. And God's got this. And God wanted Gideon to, to exchange, to trade a sandwich for a sword and go take territory. Listen, one of the reasons I think I'm supposed to be here is to tell you, remind you, Central Wesleyan Church, that you are mighty warriors. That this Old Testament physical story of, the, of Gideon is a parallel to the New Testament spiritual reality that we live in. 
In the Gideon story, physically they were impoverished and they needed to go take new territory. They needed to take territory back. Spiritually, people are spiritually and soul impoverished. They are empty without God and hopeless. They have no future, no eternity. Apart from him, they lose. And God's called us to take new territory, to reach spiritually lost people for the kingdom of God. And you are the ones he would use. Isn't that how Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 5? God called us, has given us the ministry of reconciliation that lost, broken, messed up people can be restored to the living God. And and as if, as if, Paul said, God makes his appeal through us, be reconciled to God. Because we're his ambassadors. His what, everybody? Yeah. That's who you are. I mean, it's a serious kingdom business in the conversation of this stronger challenge. And for Gideon, he had to wake up to who God was and who he was. And I think when you get the wake-up call and it finally lands with newness and, and, and clarity in your soul, then you're ready to risk new trades. And I think this whole idea of, of new trades has two questions with it. I'm going to give them to you. It's quick. This is kind of a closing thought. How current is your obedience and how current is your risk? How current is your obedience and how current is your risk? How current is your obedience? God's about to take 135,000 Midianites and wipe them out and give victory, give strength, give, give success. I don't want you to be broke. That's all I got. Thank you, my friend. He doesn't want me to be broke, so he's giving more and we're just going to lay it right there. Thank you, my friend. That's the question. If God asks you to give and put something on your heart, do you give it? Would you be obedient? Even if you, in a moment, wonder, should I really do this? Is, is this God on me? Gideon had a moment. And before God gave him victory against the 135,000 Midianites, God asked Gideon a question. I'm asking you the question. I think God's asking you. Is your obedience current? You see, if you read the detail in chapter 6, before he ever goes off to war, God stops Gideon and says, before we go off to war and take the victory, you have an altar to Baal that's in your father's household to a false god. And you guys worship there and you worship me. And you got this competitive thing going on where you follow the living God, but you follow false gods. And I'm telling you, Gideon, you got to go tear down the altar to Baal. You got to go repent, tear it down, get rid of it, clean it up, and build a fresh new altar to God alone. You can't serve two masters. See, just maybe, hear me if you'll let me say this. Maybe before God can go do the things he wants to do through you, through this church, you got to answer the question, how current is your obedience? Are there some places in your life where you're bowing to sin, impurity, indifference? On and on it goes. And before God can do the great things he wants to do in the next two years, five years, ten years, you got an altar you need to go tear down. You got some things you need to clean up. See, this story is exciting because of the success and the momentum and the win and the rescuing 
Israel, but before it ever occurred, his obedience had to be current. How current is yours? Second question, how current is your risk? See, now God says, I'm going to take out the Midianites. I'll be with you. And 32,000 Israeli warriors showed up, and God says, that's too many. And then 22,000 went home because they were afraid, and he had 10,000 left, and that was too many. And God pared it down to 300 men. And now Gideon, with 300 men, had to take the huge risk and let the Midianite army know that he was there. I'm telling you, that had to be terrifying. He had to give a war cry, blow the trumpets, and say, here we are, let's go to battle. He had to trust that God was with him. That's a huge risk. You know what I believe? I believe that that moment was the most faith-filled moment in Gideon's life. Can I tell you something? If you have nothing on the line for the kingdom, you're probably not fully in. It's difficult to be a mighty warrior and a bystander. See, this whole stronger challenge is for everybody to have the chance to put something on the line. And as soon as you put something on the line, now your faith is alive. See, God changed Gideon before Gideon changed the outcome. Most likely, before God changes the lives of people in the community around you, he's going to change your life through an act of high-risk faith. Because all of a sudden, you're no longer a bystander. you got something on the line. You're a mighty warrior. See, maybe the thing God is encouraging for any and all who need it is a fresh awakening to who God is and who you are. To make sure your obedience is current. And then let's go take a risk together. Let's go exchange a sandwich for a sword. Which is curious because when Gideon did, he never struggled for a sandwich again. He changed everything for Israel and the entire next generation. Maybe if you go do this together, years down the road, some other guy or gal will stand on the stage and say to all of you, thank you. Because of your sacrifice, because of your trade up, thousands, tens of thousands of lives have been changed. And you will be the better for it, and you'll have eternal treasure for it. So I want to pray that over you. Father, would you, by your grace, take the size of the vision that you have placed in the heart of this church, letting your favor rest on Craig, Pastor Craig and the team. Would you, God, guide us? And if there's any place where our obedience needs to get more current with you, would you lay that clearly in our hearts and our minds? Would you give great courage in this place as you awaken us to new or renewed truths? Would you give us the courage to make high-risk trades for your sake? And we'll give you all the thanks because you and you alone are the author of life. I pray this blessing over this church in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. I pray that uh, you'll see, even from listening to Kevin's message, that some investments are certainly worthwhile. Giving is, is truly an investment. And it's always an investment in people. And what I want to do right now is I just want us to stand. I want us to pray a prayer of blessing that you will realize this week that wherever you go, wherever we go, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And I want to encourage you to, even in a practical way, seek someone to invest your time and your talents in. 
And as you just go from here and prepare for next week, Commitment Sunday, to bring in the commitment cards, if you still haven't got your materials as you leave, the ushers will, will give you a stronger package just for you to read through. But as you just prepare through this week, asking God, God, what do you want me to do? The mission of Jesus was very simple. He said, I only do what the Father tells me. As you just say, God, what do you want me to do? I pray that he will speak that message loud and clear. And as he does that, that you will be willing to, to be obedient and to risk recognizing the greatest investment that we can make is in the lives of people. And we want people to experience the hope and life that Jesus brings. And so, Father, as we leave this place, won't you bless us with eyes to truly see the truths that Kevin has brought to us today. Help us to recognize that we are truly the hands and feet of Jesus. And people of Central, as you leave this place, go be the hands and feet of Jesus, knowing that the God of grace goes with you and he wants to use you to do abundantly more than you can ever possibly imagine. Go in grace, go in peace, and we see you all next week. Have a great week. God bless.